Well, well, New York Rangers fans, welcome to episode 73 of the New Ice City podcast. I'm your host, Vince Mercagliano of the USA Today Network, and here we are on Tuesday, I almost forgot what day it was, Tuesday it is, I'm pretty sure, May 17th, and the New York Rangers are still alive. We spoke last week after Game 5. The Rangers were in a 3-2 hole in the series against the Pittsburgh Penguins. At that point, we were feeling a little bit of optimism because they had won Game 5 to keep things interesting. And as I said to you guys last week, I thought that they had a chance to to maybe do something special and and certainly wasn't counting them out at that point. But I, I also cannot tell you that I saw this coming. And that was the Rangers rallying back winning three games in a row, and not just winning three games in a row, but becoming the first team in NHL history to have three comeback wins in a row, all in elimination games, to close out a series, and that's exactly what the Rangers did, and now they are marching on to the second round, where they will be playing the Carolina Hurricanes. I'm actually getting ready for my flight down to Raleigh later on today, We're also going to have Sarah Sivian from The Athletic. She covers the Hurricanes for them. You guys have heard her on this podcast once before. Her and I will go into a full preview of the series, so we'll get to that in just a little while. But we first, we have to talk about what just happened. (laughs) There's no way that we can just jump right into previewing the series without talking about the head-spinning turn of this series in Game 6 and Game 7, which are the two games that occurred since the last time that we spoke. And to me, it's the manner in which they won those games, which is the craziest part. Let's go back to game six in Pittsburgh. An absolutely brutal first period for the Rangers. They were outworked, outplayed. I'm looking around and some of the other writers are looking around in the press box and we're like, what is happening here? This team just no-showed for an elimination game. But all of a sudden... They turn things on in the second period. Mika Zibanejad gets them going with the power play goal. Mika Zibanejad really led the charge in that game and in these final two games. We definitely have to talk about him at length here on this podcast. And then after the Rangers rally back to tie the game, you see Chris Kreider getting the go-ahead goal on on what honestly was a, a fluky play with a minute and 28 seconds remaining. Louis Deming the third-string goalie for the Penguins that we wrote about and talked about so much throughout this series, who at times did probably better than I think a lot of people expected him to do. That was just flat out a bad goal, a lucky bounce for the Rangers. But that is why Gerard Gallant and so many of these players stressed volume shooting, getting pucks to the net, not being so gun-shy with their shot, not always going for the extra pass, just putting pressure on this goalie. Force him to make saves. Even if they appear to be easy saves, you never know what can happen. And that's exactly what happened there with Kreider taking a shot from pretty far distance out above the left circle and and still somehow Deming seemed to kind of get his glove on it, but it bounces in the air, goes over his head, ends up in the back of the net. So far, far from the prettiest goal that you're going to see scored in these NHL playoffs. But it got the job done, and it extended the series once again. Then we go back to Madison Square Garden. Game 7. Could not believe 
how wild it was. I was actually in the building for, not as a reporter, obviously, but I was in the building for Game 7 back in, I think it was 2015, when the Rangers played the Capitals in a winner-go-home game. And that was bonkers. And it was a totally different perspective for me this time, doing it as a reporter. And just the ebbs and flows of that game. Another lackluster start for the Rangers. Now, they did take the lead early on in this one. But they didn't hold it for very long. And I didn't think that they were playing particularly well in that first period. You see what happens. The Penguins come back. They take the lead on that Jake Gensel goal. And listen, that goal was sweet. I've seen the the slow motion and all the different angles and replays of that. He kicks the puck in the air and then swats it with his stick for the goal. Incredible hand-eye coordination. Incredible playmaking. I, I came out of this series with a lot of respect for Gensel. He is a quality player. He is not a product of Sidney Crosby. He is a very good player in his own right. But I have to be honest with you guys. I don't think that goal should have counted. My understanding of the rule is that you cannot shoot a puck or play a puck out of the air toward the goal if it's above the crossbar. And from all the different angles that I've looked at, I believe that when he made contact with that puck, it was above the crossbar. Gerard Gallant said the same thing. He didn't make a big fuss about it. Of course, after the game, he had won the game. Why would he kick and scream about that at that point? But I thought that that was a tough call. Honestly, I had more of an issue with that call than I did with the Heedle goal in game one. But you also do have to blame the Rangers defense on that one. How do you let a player like Gensel get behind you and basically have a free run at the net like that? So the Rangers were partially to blame for that goal, but I I personally didn't think it should have counted. That ties the game at 2-2. And then the Rangers shoot themselves in the foot on a power play that wasn't very good where Evan Rodriguez makes them pay for a turnover in the neutral zone. Not a great pass from Philip Heedle. And he suddenly turns it into a shorthanded breakaway goal. And all of a sudden, MSG is very, very nervous. The Penguins have a 3-2 lead. And the Rangers have roughly a period remaining to do something about it. Period is going on. Getting down to the nitty-gritty. Tristan Jari makes his return after not playing for over a month. Hadn't played in the first six games of the series. I thought actually all things considered, coming in cold like that, not having seen real game action in that amount of time, and then having to play in a pressure-packed game seven, Jari Jari did pretty well for himself, I thought, in that game. But with that being said, you're getting nervous. You're feeling like, okay, where is this going? Are they going to be able to find another way to pull this one out? And if I'm being honest with you guys, with like seven, eight minutes remaining... I have to have a story ready to go for as soon as the game is over. So I had most of my, you know, the Rangers gave it a valiant effort, but the season's over, some flaws were exposed, yada, yada, yada. I had my story for the end of the season pretty much written. I think I still have it saved in a file. So maybe maybe one day down the line, we'll reveal that that story and what it would have been had they lost that game. It's almost like the, the Super Bowl champion t-shirts that they make for the losing team. <laughs> but... You know, I had to be prepared for it, and and you're not sure what's going to happen, but you do have in the back of your mind, hey, this team has been in this situation before, and they found a way to pull it out. And I have to tell you guys also, throughout that game, especially that final period, the guy who kept jumping out to me that was just all over the place and pushing as hard as he could, I mean, a lot of guys were doing it, but the guy who was really jumping out to me was Mika Zibanejad. And then finally... With 5.45 to play, 
We've seen his shot and how lethal it can be. And it caught fire in those last two games after he didn't score in the first five. And it's Mika coming through with the goal to send Madison Square Garden into orbit. The press box was shaking and then the game went to overtime. And then in overtime, Artemi Panarin. Now listen, in this this story that I had written where the, the season was hypothetically over, Panarin was a guy who I wrote about a couple paragraphs in there because he, of all the star players on this team, had the worst series. And I don't think anybody would argue that. Even after the game, Gerard Gallant came out and said, listen, it was a tough night for him. He was not playing well in game seven. He looked like a shell of himself for a lot of the series. He admitted that there wasn't a whole lot of space for him to maneuver. And we've talked about this, this give and take with Panarin before, where he can't change the way that he plays where he's just trying to be a straight line, gritty, north-south player because that's not who he is. If he does that, he's not a special talent. What makes him special is the ability to freelance, the ability to dance around with the puck on his stick and make passes that far few people in the world can, can think about making or even see on the ice. So he needs to be able to do those things to be at the top of his game and, and to be the effective million player that the Rangers are paying for. But at the same time, there are moments in these series where he's not going to be able to do that and he has to simplify. And I thought he was too gun shy with his shot throughout this series. He even admitted it after the game. And what do you see him do in overtime? Finally, the Rangers are on the power play. And Panarin, I it didn't look like much of a lane. And if you look at the replay where things are slowed down, that puck had a, had a sneak by in like three different ways and just gets inside of Tristan Jari's arm near the post to, to scoot into the goal for, for the game winner. But man, that was a some shot. That was some moment for the Rangers. And all of a sudden it was bedlam. Pandemonium in Madison Square Garden. Panarin walks it off. The Rangers are marching on with an overtime win in Game 7. It does not get much better than that, folks, as far as the drama goes. And it, it really is just incredible. You have to hope that will propel Panarin because I think to beat Carolina, the Rangers are going to need more out of him. A lot of guys, but him specifically. Listen, fair or not, he is one of their elite players. He, I thought, was their best skater in the last couple months of the season. And we, we've we talked about this at length before. The Rangers, for years now, have decided to keep Zabanajad and Kreider on one line with Panarin on the other because they think that makes them a more dynamic team, a tougher team to defend, a tougher team to match up with because you can't just focus on one line. It's basically like pick your poison 1A and 1B. But that doesn't work if the second line isn't doing its job and isn't doing all the things that Panarin does that makes him so dynamic out there. So they they need more out of him for sure. And, and you hope that this goal will, will propel him and also convince him to just shoot more because he's got a great shot. He's an amazing passer. That is definitely the strength of his game, but he's also got a really good shot and, and you'd like to see him use that more against Carolina, especially if they have a backup goalie in there, which it looks like they will for at least game one. Although Ranta played pretty well in that Boston series for Carolina. I think he's definitely a step above Deming, but you want to see Panarin test him as often as possible. But for me, the guy in those final two games, the best player on either side in those final two games against the Penguins, 
was Mika Zibanejad. Didn't have a great series in the first five games. Seemed to be deferring to Crosby. Seemed to be more focused on what Crosby was doing and playing defense than he was in dictating the game himself and pushing for offense. It, it was not a great start to the series for him. And he kind of admitted it. Gerard Gallant touched on it a couple times. It seemed like Crosby was in Mika's head a little bit. It seemed like Mika was feeling like, I have to figure out how to stop him as opposed to he has to stop me. And I think when Mika was able to flip that switch from, oh my God, how am I going to defend this best player in the world to, hey, I'm a problem for him to deal with, that turned the series. That was huge for the Rangers. Mika was awesome in game six, and I thought he was even better in game seven. He, He had four points in game six three points in game seven. So you might be nitpicking a little bit there, but when you look at the overall play, especially when you factor in that Crosby did not play in game six and did play in game seven and game seven was the quietest night that we've seen from Crosby. That's because Mika was taking it to him. Mika was like 72, I think percent on the faceoff dot where Crosby had been killing him on faceoff, not killing him. Mika had a pretty good faceoff percentage for the series, but Crosby was amazing on faceoffs throughout the series Mika really took it to him there, won some big draws, both in the offensive and the defensive zone, and was just a dynamic player all over the ice, working his butt off, creating chances, looking for his shot, setting up teammates. Really, really a coming out party, I thought, for him in a lot of ways. And Gerard Gallant said it when we spoke to him after the series. Just a few of us reporters met with him on Monday. And he said, look, this to him was a sign of Mika sort of announcing his presence as one of the better centers in the league. And I think that that is huge for the Rangers moving forward. And I think you have to give Mika a lot of credit, maybe more credit than anybody else for the way that the Rangers were able to come back in this series. Of course, Shesterkin has to get some of that credit too. Not his best or quite on top of his game in game six, but good enough to win. And then outstanding in game seven. That's another thing that you have to feel good about going into this Carolina series is that Shesterkin, really good in games one and two against Pittsburgh. Of course, we know what happened in three and four where he gets pulled in both games. Still didn't look quite on top of his game or fully confident in games five and six. But game seven, 42 saves. The Rangers were playing some really leaky defense. I thought they they had a bad game on that end, at least for a good portion of it. And he bailed them out in a lot of situations and gave them an opportunity to win that game. The Rangers were not necessarily the better team in game seven. And you could say that about a lot of these situations. I mean, look at it. The the Rangers, whether it's their inconsistency from period to period, which was evident throughout this series, they largely got outplayed at five on five, whether you're talking about what you saw with your own eyes or if you look at the numbers, it looks really bad. I think the numbers are a little little skewed. It's a small sample size. And listen, you know, I really respect what a lot of the public sites do, but it's all imperfect in my mind. But watching the games, you could just see that a lot of times at five on five, the Rangers were hemmed in their own zone, outplayed, especially in the games when Crosby was in the lineup. So not a perfect series by any stretch from the Rangers, but Mika stepped up big. Shesterkin obviously was big in, I think, at least three of those games. They got some key performances. And then the one thing that you just cannot take away from this team, there is something to this whole no quit in New York thing. 
It's become an undeniable trait of this team. No matter what the situation is, and we saw this throughout the regular season, they just have this knack for sticking with it, for coming back in games, for finding ways to make things happen in the pressure moments. And we saw it throughout the regular season. I felt like I I wrote about it 18 different ways. But proving that you can do that in the playoffs is something entirely different. And it translated. It worked for the Rangers in these playoffs. And, and that's something that's not going to show up in the stats. It's something you can't necessarily put your finger on as to why. But anybody who has watched this team play all season long, and especially anybody who watched those last five games, I mean, I'm sorry, three games of this series, had to come away thinking there is just an it factor about this team. There is something about this team that when it comes down to a close scoring game in the third period, they just find ways to win. And that is why we're going from a series where they were the favorite and and didn't play very well at times, but found a way to win to a series where they are now clearly going to be the underdog. And I believe they're going to lose. <laughs> if, I'm, if I'm being honest with you guys, I put my prediction out on loha.com slash sports slash rangers on Tuesday morning. So I definitely encourage everybody to check out that preview. Although now that you know my pick, you might be mad at me and not want to read it. But we go into a lot of other stuff in there too and break down a lot of facets of this series. But even though I'm making that pick, the thing that's in the back of my mind is like, man, this team just finds ways to defy the odds and pull games out of there, you know what, all the time. And that is an X factor in the series. Just as much as we know Shesterkin is an X factor in the series because he can steal you games. The Rangers' ability to stick with it and not melt under the pressure, actually step up their game when they need a goal in a key moment, can't discount that. That's just one of those things that that we, at this point, accept as a part of this team, something that every team has to be aware of, that this is not a team that if, if you take a two or three goal lead that you can all of a sudden feel like you have it wrapped up. And no matter what happens moving forward, that's a gene that this team, that the core of this team has that will serve them well. When they're more battle-tested in future years and deeper and more developed and their young players have grown, knowing that that they have that knack for winning these kind of games is going to be a huge feather in their cap. So... That is what you have to feel good about with this team. They've given you some incredibly emotional, dramatic, exciting wins. But let's be real, Carolina is is a step up in class. This is a different animal they're about to face in this second round series. The last seven times these teams played, the Rangers are one and six. We've seen that speed, that smothering forecheck of Carolina and and the fits that it's given the Rangers in the last few years. It's going to be really tough for them to deal with this team. There's a lot of reasons to feel like Carolina is going to come away as the winning team in this series. And for the Rangers, if they play the way they did against Pittsburgh, they're going to lose. As much as they might find a way to squeak out a game with some of this drama and these crazy finishes that we're talking about, they might be able to steal a game or two that way. But you can't 
have these slow starts that they had, or you can't all of a sudden fall apart in one period. You can't all of a sudden be giving up high danger chances at an alarming rate and having your defense fall apart. You can't have your stars not scoring for multiple games at a time. Those inconsistencies that we saw against Pittsburgh, it's not going to fly in this next series. So the Rangers need to step up their game. We can give them all the credit in the world for the way that they were able to pull out these wins. And and that is the headline. I'm underlining that. That is absolutely the biggest takeaway from that series against Pittsburgh. But they need to be better. Everybody needs to elevate against this Carolina team if they want a chance of pulling off this upset. So with that, let's dive into the specifics of this series and the matchups and all that kind of stuff with Sarah Sivian. And then I will be back after this interview to answer your Twitter questions. Now let's welcome back into the show. We're going to start calling her our Hurricanes correspondent from the Athletics, Sarah Sivian. We've had her on once before. Now that was to preview a regular season matchup, but now we're looking at the playoffs. And of course, Sarah, with the playoffs here, the most important thing is, have you picked out a spot for us to all get drinks, maybe some food one of these nights in Raleigh? I haven't picked it out yet. I need to feel out your vibe, feel out Molly's vibe, feel out everyone's vibe. And I, I take my recommendations very seriously. So I will have to get to work on that immediately. But we will have drinks. The, the vibes are very different in this New York writers group because you have mm-hmm. Molly, you know, the 25 year old who's always excited wherever we go and, and is kind of the ringleader for making plans. Me, you know, still relatively young guy, likes to go out and have fun. And then you've got, you know, Larry Brooks, who I know you are very friendly with. And we're going to hopefully maybe bridge that gap at some point. And, you know, you've got some guys that have been doing this for a little longer. So it's it's an array of of personalities. Yeah, I got to get the unblock. (laughs) (laughs) I want to hear the story about that, but maybe we'll wait. We'll wait for in person. I was probably being an asshole. We'll see. We'll, yeah. we'll hash it out. Larry can be a curmudgeon on social media. He can, he can be a curmudgeon in real life too, but I, he, he, when you get him to warm up, he, he's a pretty good guy. Okay. And, Perfect. And, and he's got a lot of good stories to tell. So Perfect. anyway, we'll work on that on the road. All right. Well, let's, let's, let's dive into this. The, the thing, the Rangers are feeling good about themselves, obviously coming off that game seven win, but the recent history between these teams is not good for them. They're one and six in their last seven meetings going back to that bubble last year. Carolina has had their number. And even the one game the Rangers won this year, Georgiev stole that. Like the Canes to me outplayed them throughout that whole game. So Mm. the level of confidence in Carolina right now, what is that like? Yeah, I want to say it doesn't really matter what happens in the regular season. And that's a cliche for the playoffs, but it's true for a reason. I mean, you're talking to Antti Ranta earlier today and he was just like someone mentioned he hadn't played against the Rangers in these games. He's like, well, I didn't play against the Bruins either. So just kind of goes to show how it can be. But I, I do think. The Hurricanes saw they dominated the Bruins so much in the regular season this year, and then it came down to seven games. So I feel like they are respecting the Rangers, especially at the end. It was neck and neck there in the Metro. The thing for me that Carolina has done so well against them is, you know, you see them obviously all the time. So you probably can put this into perspective better than I can. But they're one of the fastest teams I've seen and one of the best for checking teams I've seen. And I, I, I assume that's that's attributed to Rod Brindamore and, and him getting them to fully buy in because it looks like everybody on this team four checks and does those little things and really tries to stay on top of opponents to make things as difficult for them as possible. Is that just 
is that his style and it rubs off on the team or is it a mix of his style with having the right personnel for that? Yeah, you're absolutely right. It's got to be a mix. I mean, these guys have to be fast enough to play in this system. And then there's a few younger guys. They have a good combination of skill and speed, but at the same time, discipline and shot suppression. So I think while the forecheck is probably their trademark, but the shot suppression is something that stands out to me as a reason they got past the Bruins at least. Yeah. And, and, and that, it goes hand in hand because if you're forechecking well and you're dominating possession yeah. and you're constantly having the puck in the other team's zone, well, then they're not going to have as many opportunities to shoot, which I think is yeah. going to be huge for the Rangers because as good as Igor is, you can't spend the majority of the game each and every night in your own zone for the most part because it's just going to put too much pressure on the goaltending and, and that plays right into Carolina's strength. Yeah, he's only one guy, too. I mean, he is a great, great guy who is I voted for him for the heart, but we will see. They do need a little bit more out of the Rangers, but game six and seven were kind of scary in that aspect. I was watching like, okay, this team isn't done yet. Yeah, they that is the one thing you got to say about the Rangers is they have this knack. It's like this it factor that you can't put into perspective with stats or anything, but they have this knack for finding ways to win games when it looks like they shouldn't win. They were very inconsistent in that series against Pittsburgh. But when it came down to the third period, if the game was close, they they seemed to just always find a way. Yeah. Yeah. So with with Caroline, I want to get into some specifics about the lineup because I remembered for, I guess, a couple years, at least the top line had been Ajo, Svechnikov and Taravainen. And now it looks like Jarvis has kind of supplanted. And I guess it makes the whole top six look more balanced. But Jarvis, I think, is still only 19 years old. I know he was a first round pick. So how has the the top six kind of fallen into place? And and how would you describe the way that they've been playing? Yeah, he recently turned 20. Um, It is hard to make this Hurricanes team out of training camp. And Brendan Moore is kind of like, has an aversion to that, right? Like he likes his guys and he wants them to be a little bit older, but this kid just won his heart and it's hard to win his heart. The way he plays, obviously he's so fast and skilled and that goes for all these young kids, especially first round picks. But he was paying so much attention to Rod and like took his advice to heart about the two-way game. And he kind of did, he started doing things that way and what a spot on the team. And then He was a huge factor with three goals in round one. And it's kind of one of those things where it's it's a domino effect that falls into place. Like Svechnikov on the second line is helpful for spreading out scoring. And especially against that Bruins team with kind of the Bergeron matchup, like they're going to suppress the first line. You need to have people coming at you at all angles. So I think that was a huge factor in the Canes winning the first round. It looked like the second line, at least points wise, had more than the first line for for them in that series against Boston. Yeah, it was. It's honestly even hard to evaluate. It's like one of the most bizarre playoff series I've ever witnessed because you look at the the home team, if either it was the Bruins or the Canes, and they played a completely different game at home and on the road. And it's not really that the officials were penalizing the away team more it's like the away team was making those mistakes in any case so i wonder how that's going to look in the second round Uh, is it fair to say that aho and sveshnikov are still the most dangerous players offensively that the rangers need to be aware of i mean d'angelo and slavin led the team in scoring isn't that crazy i I think i need to see more out of aho the game six and game seven were kind of disappointing i wonder if he's a little banged up and now he's at a few days so we'll see but svechnikov did wake up in game six with two goals but they weren't enough (laughs) 
Well, you mentioned those defensemen and and D'Angelo. That series was at least watching from afar weird for him because very productive, obviously played his role well. We know how good he is on the power play. But there are also some moments where it looks like things got testy. Maybe he lost his cool a little bit. But does that does that almost help them? Like, do they want him in that role of a guy who's going to piss opponents off? Well, I don't think they wanted that because of his history. He hasn't been great at responding to that type of stuff. Right. But it was I will take the L on that. And I told him, like, I was wrong about this because he after losing his stick and losing his cool, the next day he came back with a multi point three points, one huge power play goal and first start of the game to me. So I think. Maybe Brendan Moore has gotten to him in that aspect where he can hone in on the emotion in a productive way. I mean, this is going to be a huge test for him against his old team, right? So we, I feel like we're really going to see what he's made of and if he has become the player that we all were, knew he could be if he kind of toned it down. Watched his tone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, he's been on that top pair. And like oh, those those guys, I presume, have been good defensively because oh. that was like the knock on him in New York was he was gr- a great offensive player. But defensively, there were some questions. Yeah, Slavin. And he was saying this. He doesn't want to not. He loved playing with Mark Stahl, too. But um, Slavin is one of the best defensemen he's ever been partnered with. And you can see that game seven. I just. I almost went back and watched Slavin the whole time because he put on an absolute clinic. I just, he, I don't have words for it anymore. (laughs) So yes. And he gives D'Angelo a bit of a longer leash where he can hold down the fort and then D'Angelo feels confident enough to go for it. Not like half asset, you know, he's all in on the other side scoring and it works. Yeah. Slavin had a great year. I, I, I was having trouble narrowing down my Norris ballot and he was definitely a guy that I was considering for one of those top five spots. The 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 third line to me is interesting because obviously Rangers fans know yes for Fast. I gave him a Selkie vote. I, I think he's a, an amazing defensive Good player. And, and I think that he really kind of defines that style that Brendan Moore wants him to play. And he's got the speed and the hustle and the defense and all that and the four check for sure. Yeah. But that whole line looks like a really defensive minded line. And I'm curious, like, does Brendan Moore use them? in matchup situations, like I could see them maybe being thrown out there against that Panarin line because the Panarin line is so good offensively. He might want to use them to shut them down. Is that fair? You think we might see them used that way? Yeah. I love that you gave him a selfie vote. He, when we say, I hate the term underrated because it's like people say Jacob Slavin's underrated when we, anybody who watches hockey should know he should be adequately rated, but Faust is somebody who really is underrated. He had four penalties this entire season. Yeah, the regular season. And we know, me and you know how he plays. He isn't shy and he's kind of using the body, using the stick, but he does it really well. So I think he's one of the most smart underrated players in the game. But yeah, to your point, it is a total matchup line. And Stahl going against Bergeron, that was kind of the big thing in round one. I could see them used against Panarin for sure. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going to have my eyes out for that one. Other question is in goal. I, I, I DM'd you about this the other day because I was writing my preview and wanted to make sure I had my facts straight. But I, I'm, I'm assuming Ranta is going to start in game one, but they're hopeful that maybe they get Anderson back at some point in this series. Yeah, my sense is that, I mean, he didn't need surgery. He, I thought he was going to be back maybe the end of the first round, but he isn't. It, it's so fickle with these injuries sometimes, especially with a goaltender. You got to make sure he can move like 500% or it's just Ranta has been doing great. So why take him out and risk anything? So 
I think he still hasn't practiced with the team today. There was a practice. He wasn't on the ice and they kind of told me to stop asking about it until he does a <laughs> practice. Cause it's going to be the same thing. So he's not coming back for game one. You can count on that. And I mean, then I think game two would be iffy too, but maybe three, four five, six. But Ronta, you touched on it. He, he's been solid for them. Yeah, he has. It's been a really, really great story. Um, he lost both his dad and his grandfather over the summer in a span of weeks. And mm. his dad used to text him like before and after every game, just a little emoji, something like that. And I know it's been kind of hard for him this season without having that when he had it for so long. But he knows his dad before game seven, um, that Kane's goal coach said, your dad's watching over you right now. Just go out there and think of him. And that Ranta had an amazing game. So I think there's a little bit something special there with him right now. And he's just a guy. Everybody wants to play for such, you guys know him in New York. He's just such a good guy. Um, I it's a good story for sure. And I, I think it's his net to lose at this point. I obviously did. I didn't cover him, but I heard some other writers that have been around longer than me talking about how great he was to deal with in the locker room and all that when he mm-hmm. was here. And we know he was the backup for Lundqvist for a while mm-hmm. and, and always seemed to play well when he got an opportunity. So I don't think this is quite the level where when the Rangers are playing uh, the Penguins and they had Louis Domingue, a third stringer who like didn't even have a job for a yeah. while. Ronta is a, is a step up from that. So yeah. the Caroline, I think, and, and with the way that they play, you know, it's going to be on the Rangers to test him, but I think it's going to be tough for the Rangers to, to get a whole lot of possession in this series. Do you, and I don't know, and I don't know if you want to come out with a prediction or anything like that, but this Carolina team to me feels like they've been building every year and they, they've won some playoff series. And now the question is, are they ready to be a real Stanley cup contender? Like, where do you feel like you see them in this series and even moving forward? Do you feel like they're ready to compete with, a Tampa or a Colorado or, or teams like that? Good question. Um, I, I do. I, I don't know. I'm going to say Canes and six for this round because, and it's no hate to the Rangers at all. And who knows with Igor seriously, but I do think if they got past the Bruins, who's kind of been like their final boss for the past three, not past three seasons, but like three of the past four seasons, that's what it is. Um, <laughs> they have been, like kicked the canes out. So I feel like now anything's pot, like the weights off the shoulders, but it's kind of interesting because the Rangers beat the penguins and the canes beat the Bruins. It's kind of like these younger fast teams are defeating these, not dynasty, but you know, like longstanding core players that are getting older. So I do think maybe anything could happen in this series because of that. But at the same time, I do think there's a weight off the hurricane shoulders and we'll see. Well, I picked the Canes in six also, so I'm sure Rangers fans are going to hate to hear that from both (laughs) of us, but maybe that'll take a little heat off you. All right, Sarah, thank you so much. I know you got a lot of stuff to do. I appreciate you taking a few minutes and we will see you in Raleigh and and hopefully we'll have have some good times out there. Yeah, can't wait. And we are back. Thank you to Sarah for taking some time to chat with us today. This is another one of those situations where I have yet to talk to Sarah. The interview with her is scheduled for a little bit later on, and I have a window to record the full podcast now. So jumping into all of it, trying to be as efficient as possible, because I have a laundry list of things to do today, including I probably should be doing some laundry have to pack, have to record the podcast, have to finish some writing that I'm trying to get done, have to get to the airport, fly to Carolina, 
Got to move some stuff into the new place a little bit. I'm slowly moving right now, so that has been a challenge for sure during these playoffs. Got the little guy with me for a lot of the day because he's not in daycare, so it's a big juggling act today. So I have a window right now while he's napping to to record this full thing, so we're getting it done, folks. (laughs) You'll learn, especially I've learned, I should say at least, in parenthood that when you have these moments of peace and quiet, and you have work to do or you have chores to do or whatever it is, you got to seize them. So that's what I'm doing. But Sarah, as always, of chiding to her. I'm sure it was fun. Definitely looking forward to the New York writers and the Carolina writers all going out while we're in Raleigh in the next couple of days. Going to eat some barbecue, get some beers. We'll all be working pretty hard, but we're going to play pretty hard too when we have the chance to. So, And Sarah will be one of the ones who's charged for sure with helping us find good places and showing everybody a good time. So appreciate her time because I know how busy everybody is right now and with that we will dive into some questions from twitter and there are a few ones that lead right into some stuff that i want to talk about anyway which is great i love when that happens good when a plan comes together and we will start with this one from charles who is at c not schools c shules who wrote which former ranger do you expect to have the biggest impact on the series for the Canes? And which Ranger do you expect to have the biggest impact on the series? Well, looking at Carolina, they've got quite a few former Rangers who are going to be playing. They're going to have Ranta in goal, at least to start the series. And we'll see if Freddie Anderson comes back. That is definitely one of the questions for the series is, will the Canes get Anderson back at some point during the series? I've heard, and I'm sure you just heard Sarah talk about it as well, because that's one of my questions I'm planning on asking her, that they're hopeful he'll be back at some point in the series, but it definitely looks like Ronta will be in there at, at a minimum for game one. And he played pretty well against Boston, and I think the Canes seem to feel pretty confident with him. So he'll obviously be a huge factor in the series. Whoever's in goal is always going to be a huge factor. But on top of Ronta, the Canes also have Brady Shea and Tony D'Angelo and Brendan Smith. Three of their six defensemen are former Rangers. And then they have Jesper Faust and Derek Stepan at forward. So that's six former Rangers out of the 20 guys the Canes will dress for game one. That's pretty crazy. So for me, Ranta, obviously, because of the goalie thing, is one of them. But the other two who definitely come to mind are number one, Tony D'Angelo, because you've got to find a way to contain his offense he had eight points in that series against the Bruins was actually tied for the team lead in points he's been as good as ever on the power play for them this year you guys know how skilled he is with the puck with his passing he's a guy that you have to be aware of when he has the puck in the offensive zone but you also want to take advantage of him defensively because we know that he's a guy who at least when he was here in New York would get beat sometimes a smaller guy not, not lacking in toughness for sure, but, but he's a guy who defensively has always been considered, you know, that's sort of the, the weak point of his game. The offense is what he's known for. So you want to take advantage of him when he's on the ice in key defensive situations, and you need to be super aware of him when he's on the ice in offensive situations. We also saw against the Bruins that, listen, Tony can be a little bit of a hothead. We know that. We saw the way that he left New York. We know that he got into that fight with Alexander Georgiev, and we know there had been a list of things that had gone on both on social media and behind closed doors that rubbed the Rangers the wrong way. 
He's certainly been on his best behavior with Carolina for most of the season, but he's a guy who's not afraid to get chippy, not afraid to try to get under opponent's skins, you know, may sometimes cross the line, I think, in some people's eyes. Obviously, that breakaway with Brad Marchand in the Boston series, I'm sure a lot of you saw the highlight where he literally flung his stick down the ice to try to prevent that goal. It was certainly not a great look for him, and he had some moments, you can say, of poor sportsmanship in that series. But that's also going to be part of his role is getting into guys and pissing people off and doing all that. And the Rangers are going to have to manage that. We've seen even in the regular season some moments where things got chippy between D'Angelo and some of his former teammates. So that's something to keep an eye on as well. But as far as the player himself, you got to be aware of him when he has the puck on his stick because he can do some pretty good things with it. And then the other guy who comes to mind for me is Jesper Faust. Faust, actually, I can't tell you guys the order yet, but I will reveal it at some point. I gave him a Selkie vote this year. You look at the numbers, you know, Carolina is a great defensive team, but he was their leading forward defensively, both even strength and on the penalty kill. And you guys know how hard he works. You watched him here for years. He's an all out hustle player. I'll never forget David Quinn saying that no player was as winded or tired when he got back to the bench after each shift because Foss is just a guy who completely empties the tank every time he gets out there. And he's a guy who can make a lot of things happen defensively. And that line with him, Niederreiter, and Jordan Stahl is the shutdown line for the Hurricanes. You know, it's their quote-unquote third line. But that's a line that you're going to see Rod Brindamore put out there a lot of times in key defensive situations. And I think my hunch is you're going to see Jesper Faust and that line out there against the Panarin-Strom line to try to shut down their offense and smother them with that forecheck. So that's going to be a real test for Panarin and those guys. And I think Faust is going to be a really key player for, for the Hurricanes. You know all these guys are going to be motivated to sort of stick it to their former team. A lot of these guys were either traded or allowed to walk during free agency or in D'Angelo's case, flat-out cut. So the Rangers... I think have to be aware of these guys, but but Fost and D'Angelo are definitely two guys that come to mind because I think they're going to play really key roles in this series. As far as which Ranger do I expect to have the biggest impact on the series? I, you know, you, you look at the star players first and foremost, Panarin, Zabanajad, Kreider, Fox, Shesterkin. Those are obviously the big five, the guys that you need to play their best, that are the most dynamic and that can make the biggest impact on the series, no doubt about it. I also wrote, though, about a couple other guys in my preview. I don't want to give too much away here, but one guy who I'm really interested to see in this series now that the Rangers will have him presumably for the full length is Tyler Mott, who played in game six and seven after coming back from that upper body injury and missing over a month. And I thought really provided a spark for the Rangers. It's huge for them in particular because Barclay Gaudreau is out. Now, Gallant said on Monday that he wouldn't completely rule Gaudreau out for the full series. He's definitely not going to play in the first you know, few games. But I can tell you guys, as I reported last week, I've heard from multiple people that it's a broken left ankle. And I we saw Gaudreau in the press box in Pittsburgh, and he was on crutches with a boot on his left foot. So doesn't look like he's close. Obviously, he's not skating yet, as Gallant told us yet. I think it's a long shot for you to see him in this series. And that 
increases the importance of Ma because Ma can do a lot of the same things. Big penalty kill guy, really good four checker, not as big as Gaudreau. So I don't think you're going to see him have as much of a physical impact, although he's, he's certainly not afraid to throw the body. But as Gallant pointed out, he's a faster player than Gaudreau. And so I think that some of the things that he does well might be a little bit better than Gaudreau. Gaudreau, I think, is overall a more versatile and important player for this team. But Mott can definitely help offset that loss in a lot of ways. He's going to sort of be the driving force for that fourth line. Very energetic, all-out hustle player. A little bit like Faust in that regard. But also, what struck me in Game 7 was watching Gerard Gallant move him up when needed. And specifically, that was playing him on the Zabanajat and Kreider line when there were big defensive zone draws. When the Rangers are out there against, let's say, the Ajo line for Carolina, and they have to have a face-off in their own zone, I think you're going to see Gallant throw Mott out there to replace Vetrano because he trusts Mott more defensively. So that's something to keep an eye on as well with Mott. I think he could be a key player. And the other guy I wrote about was Keandre Miller. And I think all the kids in general, especially Miller and then the kid line of Lafreniere, Kako, and Hedl, I thought those guys had way more positives in the first round series than negatives. And I really want to see them all keep building. And Miller in particular, you know he's going to eat up a lot of minutes. He ranks second on the team in average ice time per game, over 26 minutes per game. Now, two of those games were overtime, of course, so you have to consider that. But still, Gallant has full trust in this guy, threw him out there in all kinds of situations, rode him. He's such a physically fit, physically gifted guy. He does not seem to wear down in these grinding kind of games. And I think Miller is going to be huge for the Rangers again. He was huge for them in this series, especially game seven. Look, he scores a goal to tie the game in game seven. And then he also draws a penalty that ultimately led to the Panarin power play goal in overtime. So pushing for offense, using his speed, especially to get pucks out of their own zone against that heavy forecheck of Carolina, and then just his defensive ability and reliability and increasing growth in that area of his game Miller's another key guy, I think, for the Rangers for sure. All right, let's get to another question here. Will Wright wrote, We are underdogs, but what are three factors that you think would swing this series in the Rangers' favor? Well, number one for me is how do the Rangers handle that forecheck of Carolina? Carolina might be the best forechecking team in the league, They might be the fastest team in the league. They are going to be relentless in your face. And what we saw from the Rangers at times during the regular season and definitely at times against the Penguins is that there are stretches where they have issues breaking the puck out of their own zone. When the defensemen gain possession and the Rangers are trying to clear it from the D zone into the neutral zone and then push ahead to the O zone, They had issues at times. They weren't connecting passes. They were getting smothered. They were creating turnovers. That leads to odd man rushes for the opponent. It just seemed like that was something that they worked on during the regular season, got better at, but then there were times where they reverted back in that series against Pittsburgh. And Carolina 
is going to be a much tougher opponent in that regard than Pittsburgh was. So when they're flying at you and they're putting pressure on you and you have to make quick decisions with the puck, you got to make sure it's going forward. You got to be very careful with those cross ice passes. You got to try to connect from one guy to the next. But ultimately, even if you have to just fling it down the boards, you have to get it out of your own zone. Now, we don't want to see too much dump and chase, obviously. You'd rather be connecting passes. But the Rangers being able to not only defend, but then once they regain possession in the face of that Carolina forecheck, move the puck forward, that to me is a huge factor in this series because you have to be concerned with time of possession here. We saw it in the regular season. Carolina outshot the Rangers by a wide margin, and that's because a a majority of those games was spent in the defensive zone for the Rangers. And you cannot play a seven-game series against this team and spend the majority of it in your own zone. That is not going to bode well. As good as Igor is, that's going to be putting way too much pressure on him. There's going to be defensive breakdowns. There's going to be goals against. And then that's going to put the Rangers in a hole. They need to have some sustained offensive zone time. And to do that, you need to be able to clear the puck out of your own zone. That would be one thing for sure that I'm watching in this series. Another thing that comes to mind is just those star players that I mentioned, the the big five in particular. The Rangers are going to need more consistency from those guys. If Mika can play the way that he did in those final two games against Pittsburgh, if Kreider can keep scoring, if Panarin can step it up, if Fox can step it up, and then, of course, the number one thing is Igor. Can he steal you a couple games? Because I think for the Rangers to win this series, they're going to need Igor to steal one or two. They need to be more consistent, those guys. Those guys had good games, especially Mika at the end, but it wasn't quite consistent enough. And I think if those guys aren't on top of their game more often against Carolina, that's not going to bode well for the Rangers. They need their big guys to come up big. We can talk about the depth of the lineup and the kid line and the bottom pair and you know Justin Braun over Patrick Nemeth. Obviously, those are important decisions, but they're minor decisions and minor factors in relation to your top players, your key guys being your key guys. Your key guys need to lead, and the Rangers are going to need, especially a guy like Panarin, to play better than he did against Pittsburgh if they're going to have a chance against Carolina. And then the third thing is just not just with those star players, but consistency overall. This habit that the Rangers have of a bad period. We saw it happen in the first period at times against Pittsburgh. We saw it happen in the second period at times against Pittsburgh. This up and down nature where you dig yourself into a hole and have to climb back out. I don't think, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think the Rangers can afford to keep doing that as they continue to step up in competition in the playoffs. So the Rangers cannot afford to have these flat starts or fall flat in the middle of the game like they did in Almost every game against the Penguins, you look at that, you didn't really see one game in that full seven-game series where you felt like, wow, that was a total 60-minute effort. They never took their foot off the gas pedal. For them to beat Carolina, they're going to need a couple 60-minute efforts. Maybe they could sneak or squeeze one out in a game where they're not their best the whole game, but... They're going to need at least a couple games, I believe, where you feel like they sustained a high level of play from start to finish. And that is definitely, I think, something that they're talking about within that room and Gallant is preaching and all that. They've been saying it all year. We got to play 60 minutes. Well, 
here's a, t- here's a very good time to start doing that. All right. Let's get to one final question before I have to get going. And I see a couple people in here. Davey Upper is one of them. He wants to know if I see the Rangers fans taking over the Canes barn. And then I see Jeff and Lou both mentioned that the Canes have this policy where I've heard about this. They are only selling tickets to people who are buying tickets from either North Carolina or South Carolina. So obviously they are trying to guard against Rangers fans taking over that building. Cause I can tell you guys this, I've been down there for plenty of regular season games. There's a lot of blue in the stands. Rangers fans travel well, pretty much everywhere, but that seems to be one of the arenas more than a lot where you see a really heavy Rangers fan presence. So I'm sure a lot of you have been looked, have looked into it. I know there's a, handful of Carol or people that live in one of the Carolinas who have reached out to me that are Rangers fans who are transplanted down there or whatever it might be. Now those people should be able to get in if they have a Carolina address, but people who are looking from New York to maybe drive down there or fly down there and buy tickets, you can't go directly through the normal channels to get those tickets. So maybe in some ways that will reduce the presence of Rangers fans in the building. I'm sure it will have some impact, but Overall, listen, let's be real. It's it's 2022. You guys can go on the secondary market. You could find tickets online in a lot of different ways. Now, you might pay a pretty penny for them, but if you're really motivated to go, you can find tickets and, and get around this Carolina policy that they have. So that that's the fact of the matter. I still definitely expect to see quite a few Rangers fans in the building. And, and I see Lou in particular is asking, what are my thoughts on the policy? I got to be honest, I don't really have a big problem with it. If it's my team, my organization, I want to make sure that it is as much of a home ice advantage as possible and has as many of my own fans in the building as possible. You know you're going to sell out those games one way or another, so why not do everything you can to try to make sure that it's mostly people who are supporting your team? I could see people who have a problem with it and are saying, you know, if a paying customer is willing to pay, you know, why would you discriminate against anybody? But honestly, I think it's fine. I don't really, I don't really take much of an issue with it. I I think if that's what they want to do, that's their prerogative. And I can see the reasoning behind it. If I was a coach or a player on that team or worked for that organization, I would want as much Carolina red and see as many Canes jerseys in that fan, in that stands as possible. I would want it to be as loud and proud and supportive of my team as possible And if you think that only selling tickets to people who come from the area where your team is from will help in that regard, you know, that's fine with me. I'm not going to sit here and pound the desk about it. All right. With that, I am going to say sayonara. I, as I mentioned, have a long list of things to do for the rest of the afternoon, including interviewing Sarah still. And so I'm going to try to take care of as much as possible before I head to Carolina. And then we will shift our focus to game one. We'll be back next week with another episode probably sometime in the middle of the series. I'm guessing it would be after game four because we got game one Wednesday, game two Friday, game three Sunday, and then game four Tuesday. I'll probably record on Wednesday, so we'll know a lot more by then. That will be an interesting episode to look forward to. But in the meantime, we got a lot of hockey to look forward to. So I hope you guys enjoy it. Let's have some more fun, and I will talk to you guys next time.